And welcome to another episode of the Heart Guy Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse HS, and today we have Brian C. Tyler returning to discuss with me Night of the Living Dead 1990, is directed by Tom Savini. Now, we've gushed, we've all talked endlessly to each other uh, on and off this podcast about our love for the original Night of the Living Dead. But with that said, there's no denying that George Romero's 1968 Night of the Living Dead is an un- unmatched classic and launched the entire genre of the modern zombie. The modern zombie film, craze, whatever, what have you, he launched everything that has to do with the modern zombie. There would be no Walking Dead. There would be no, you know, continuation of the Dead series that he had. Like, he really started everything with it. But today, we're going to discuss, my opinion, the best horror remake of any film ever, period, in my opinion. But I have my very good friend, my one of my best friends, Brian C. Tyler, here to discuss. Brian, how's it going? I'm fine. Fine. Just very... Very fine. Very fine. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So, this film, I know we both saw relatively young. I remember watching this one kind of, kind of, uh, probably around the same time I saw the original. I almost yeah. think I might even watched them back to back, if I can remember correctly. But you're also going back, you know, almost 25 years now but when was the first time you saw this film the 1990 night of the living dead i i feel like i was very young yeah but i definitely saw the original first Mm -hmm. this stuff is kind of vague to me um yeah we saw the original first because i remember watching it with my brother and you know the scene after the explosion when the zombies are feasting on what's left of Tommy, Tommy and Judy, Judy, yes, um, and because I I remember my brother saying something like, "Imagine how gross this would look in color." So we didn't know that there was a remake yet. Uh huh. But so I don't know. I don't remember how I discovered the remake, but I I do remember I saw it at a very young age. And it took me years before I rewatched it. I remember I won it on eBay, the VHS. Oh, really? What, yeah, back when I like first started eBay. eBay. And I hadn't seen it in so long that I thought it had the same ending as the original. Oh. So I was actually kind of surprised. <clears throat> now, this is a film, and I remember this vividly, and I love that I have this memory. And it's one of the great... Uh, one of the great memories that I have as far as, you know, early film watching and discovering horror movies and stuff, I had this recorded on a VHS tape off whatever it was on, Showtime or HBO or whatever, with Ferris Bueller's Day Off was the first film on this VHS, and then, that was the glory about VHS, is you could fit a few, like, two movies on there, and usually part of a TV show, which is usually what I would do. But I would record these things at a young age. Like, that was one of the first memories I have, was mm-hmm. learning how to record VHSs, movies off onto a VHS. So there's Ferris Bueller's Day Off on on one part of this. 
And then right after that, like before they even, I think it was, I didn't even see the the full end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off on this tape because it, I cut it cut off to uh, be sure that you could fit another movie on there or whatever. Um, but Night of the Living Dead 1990 was the second film on that. Um, and then I think of the end credits, uh, after the end credits of Night of the Living Dead, there was actually the Dinosaurs show, if you remember that. Um, anyway, so that was one of the first uh, memories I have. So burned in my memory is the color of the sticker that you would put on your recorded VHS tape. So it was white and it had three like silver bars there and then was blank where you'd write what was on there or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know you were, what you were talking about for a second. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and that's just burned into my brain. And I remember, I wish I still had it just because it's it's a fond memory I have of my parents and my youth. Um, but this movie I watched a lot as a kid. And it, I really do think it kind of made the zombie scary again. I mean, as far, not that, uh, not that they weren't scary, but by the time Day of the Dead had come out in 85, they were a little more... You know, with Bub, they were a little more... Not as scary, because yeah. Bub was kind of uh, kind of a, a hero-type hero zombie. Yeah, and in Day of the Dead, I guess the threat of the... Like, well, the human characters were more evil than the Yeah, zombies, exactly, exactly. Which was great. Um... And you sort of feared Captain Rhodes more than you actually feared the zombies. Yeah. And, uh, which is funny because obviously The Walking Dead, like, picks on that, you know, deals with that depiction of, like, how humans react and how humans become more evil than, yeah. uh, than the actual, you know, eat more of a worry than the actual zombies. But, which I guess goes all the way back to the feud that Ben and. Exactly. Yeah. Ben and uh, Cooper have yeah. in the original and in the remake. And I guess that sort of escalates which with each uh, film Romero did, like how evil humans can be. Yeah, it got, you know, worse and worse, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this... Um, I remember thinking about how scared, how scared I was of these zombies in Savini's uh, take on this one. Now... The film, this whole film was made to make money where they didn't make it because of the uh, publishing rights for the original one. This film was oh, okay. made so they could make money on the name Night of the Living Dead. I wasn't aware of that. Because it was, I think it was, what what, what have you, copyrighted or or, mm. or whatever under Night of the Flesh Eaters. And I could be wrong here, and I, I think John might have uh, some uh, some insight to this as well. But there was some issue where it was sold to the public domain, so they didn't make money on it. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I didn't know that was the reason the remake was yes. made. Yes, um, so they could actually, you know, the people, you know, you talk uh, John Russo, uh, Russ Streiner... Like, so mm -hmm. these guys could finally get a freaking get Silly Sallied with some money from, you know, the name Night of the Living Dead. Silly Sallied? Silly Sallied. I'm not sure if I've ever heard so that they before. can get pretty pocketed. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. You can line their, line their, uh, line their pockets. Okay. Um, and George Romero 
wrote the script, right? Yes, yes. He still wrote the remake to the uh, the script to the remake. Um, so funny, and uh, and if people know this, I mean, you know it, and you're just not going to be as impressed. But for anyone who doesn't, um. So Savini saw Romero speak, whether it was at a college or a local theater or whatever, um, and Savini wanted to be on the original Night of the Living Dead crew when they were going to film, when they were going to film, and uh, he couldn't because he was going to Vietnam for whatever reason. Um, And uh, to kind of, obviously, George and Tom Savini had a rapport they worked together on several films George, Tom was you know more or less his go-to for several films when you talk Dawn of the Dead you talk Day of the Dead um Martin um did he do the effects on Martin I know he was in Martin yeah I don't know he, if he did the effects um, I thought Dawn of the Dead was his first like makeup effect yeah um I could be wrong but but you know uh Night Riders, like obviously him and George were buds. Yes, without yeah. a doubt. So George, I mean, did George handpick Tom? Spain yes, he to did. The film, um, you know, and I think that was George saying, "Well, you, you know, you didn't, you weren't able to work on the original. Um, do you want to direct the remake?" And I don't think Savini was like Savini. More or less, I think did it for George. He didn't do it for any other reason but to do it. You know. For George, but at the same time, you know, you're you're touching, you know, uh, a severe classic anyway. Um, so maybe there was some hesitation there. Um, I know Savini doesn't feel, like, awesome about it for whatever reason. And I think because the MPAA did, like, butcher it a little bit. There are scenes that are cut out. Um, but at the same time, he says, you know, those scenes work... Well, those cut scenes work well because your imagination can paint, you know, what they've taken, what the MPAA yeah. took away. You know, your imagination can paint a much more brutal picture. But well, let's... directors are also very harsh on their own films. Like, That's very true. A director is never going to love his own film as much as the fans do. No, and this is such a staple in my youth. It just as much as the original, and I know people might get a little sourpussed over that, but what, whatever. Uh, but let's talk about the cast. Man, can we talk about there being anyone... You think Dwayne Jones in the original is Ben. What a perfect character he was. Maybe one of the best cast roles in all of horror was Dwayne Jones as Ben. I think he, yeah. that he just was so great, even that long ago. Thinking back, now it's rolling up on 50 years ago. One thing I didn't know about... I mean, I know we're supposed to be talking about the remake. And yeah, yeah. You're probably going to segue into Tony Todd any minute. Yes, that's, that's what I was going to do. One thing I didn't know that maybe some of the listeners might not know, and maybe you probably knew this, um, Ben was written just as like a mindless truck driver. Yeah. Like, not to be very smart or... Um, and Dwayne Jones, when he, you know, looked at the part, right, read the script, mm-hmm. it was his idea to make Ben more intelligent. Yeah. I, he probably brought a lot of his own... Definitely, definitely. ...personality into it. So, Ben is his role, however, Tony Todd. Tony Todd, uh, you know, and he has said, uh, one, Tony Todd is iconic, 
You yeah. know, you thought you talk, you know, Candyman even aside, the guy's just done so much. And he's appeared in so much up to this point now, too. You think like he's appeared in the Hatchet series. He's appeared in Final the Final Destination series. Yep. You know, the guy is just he's been an episode an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Like he has so was he in an episode of Tales from the Crypt? No, he wasn't. I'm thinking Ernie Hudson. A little racist, Jesse. No, it's not. I just got him confused for a second. He was in an episode of Masters of Horror. Masters of Horror, okay. Anthology horror. You know, you know what series. I thought though, because what? he wears the the uh, makeup in Hatchet. Yeah, yeah. And Ernie I mean. Hudson wears makeup in the Tales from the Crypt. I think that's where I kind of got skewed. Anyway, Tony Todd plays a fucking amazing one. They said he kind of looked like Dwayne Jones a little, which he does. Um, yeah, but he they have the same like body type. Yeah, everything. yeah, definitely. But he plays Ben so well, and honestly, it was the first time in a horror movie that I saw where I was like, I fucking like, I really like was on. I was pro Ben in this film more so than I was. I mean, obviously, everyone loved Ben in the original, but. For some reason, Tony Todd just brought, like, you know, obviously he's swearing and fucking, like, he isn't, like, Ben, I mean, the character of Ben didn't take shit in the original, but the character of Ben in the 1990 version of Night of the Living Dead definitely didn't take any shit. You know, he's fucking cussing out Cooper and saying, you know, I'm fucking sick of this shit. I'll fucking open this door, Cooper. I'll blow it to shit. Yeah, the, uh... Their rivalry is, just feels so much more intense it, this time. Yeah, how fucking great is Tom Towles as Harry Cooper, too? Yeah, like, I love the actors in the original, but there are a few characters in it's, this one that I... They amp those, they amp those characters up. Well, I'm not going to take anything away from no, the original No, no, never. Because, you never. know, he did a great job. But Tom Towles... Um, R.I.P. Tom Tolles. That he died too young. Died uh, Easter Easter Day two thousand fifteen. Damn it! I forget when people die. Sometimes Isn't it fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, but Tom Tolles. He's not talked about very often. But no, he's, kind he's of, not. You know, I iconic. Well, he is. He is iconic. You yeah, think about to us. I'm not. Yeah, to us, I guess. But I don't even want to think objectively right now. He's iconic. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's in A House of a Thousand Corpses and Night of the Living Dead. That's enough. Yeah. There's but a couple more. But... Henry. He's in Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, Have I seen Henry? He's also in this movie called Bound by Honor, and there's an alternative title called uh, Blood In, Blood Out, and he also has a mm-hmm. smaller role as a like a, like a white supremacist inmate um, in all these gangs in the prisons, and he's, uh, he's uh, pretty intense in that, too, but the acting in this is just like i i think it is too it's you know it's not the living dead up turned up to 11 if yeah. those characters are at like sevens or eights in the original they're on 11 at this one because everyone's mm-hmm. you know the stakes are just seem higher for some reason um yeah. but yeah they're both of those guys play those roles in that rivalry so well and so much fun and this is we're not taking anything away from the original actors ever because that movie Night of Living Dead the original 1968 is such a perfect film but they're, they're both just so good when I'm watching the yes. original I'm not thinking I'd rather watch the remake exactly. and 
vice versa. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have put it any better. But then you talk, um, honestly, how awesome is the twist? And I love that Romero did this when he wrote, rewrote the script for mm-hmm. it. Um, making uh, Barbara, Patty Tallman, Patricia Tallman, uh, yeah. such a badass female character. Before I get into that, I will say a lot of people criticize Judith O'Day in the original and how yeah. Barbara was portrayed, which... Um, it was the 60s. Think, Let's be it real. It was the 60s, and I think a lot of people, not just women, but some men, would react like that. They would just lose their minds. Oh, yeah. And they'd be completely useless. You definitely would. I don't think I would. <laughs> but... So, now... It's 1990. We're in the post yes. Ripley, post Sarah Connor world. They had to update Barbara. Yes. And, uh, well, on top of Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor, like every horror movie had, at the time, had a badass female character by yeah. the end of it. And so, of course, they had to update Barbara, and they did an amazing job with it. Patricia Tallman, she was, she was a stunt woman. Yes. So she was a badass chick in real life, but exactly. she's written to be, like, this shy, like, repressed woman, very, um... Very mousy-looking, trick Very schooly. mousy, and she handles that really well. And yes, then, you think they trick you. That's, yeah. the, that's what I love about how Savini did it, too. And, and, you know, that is where Savini, like, brought that writing to a different level, too, is everything's misdirection in this film. That's what's so much fun about it, is everything's misdirected. You know, you're looking at the guy that's, you know, staggering through, you know, I'm sorry, I'm very sorry, thinking that guy is the Bill Heinzman character. He's not. Out of nowhere comes Greg Funk, blah, fucking coming to rip your fucking head off. And then everything's misdirection. You think, uh, you know, uh, Barbara is going to be like, you know, this... You know, just non-functional, like, nonsensical fucking, like, drag down that's going to just get people killed. And then Patty Tallman, Tom Savini, flipped the Mm -hmm. switch, and she's a fucking badass. I put it up there with one of the best, one of the most badass betrayals of a female character. I agree with that. Like... It's only one film, but I put her up there with Sarah Connor. Oh, Ripley. fuck yes. Without, um, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's something that's great about a film like this to be remade is because the, because the, uh, the character, there's not a lot of characters. They can really hone in on the few characters that they do have. Um something else i wanted to talk about well william butler's in this william butler obviously no stranger to the horror genre he he was in uh leatherface uh texas chainsaw massacre 3 uh he was also in uh the new blood new blood 13th part 7 um what else did he pop up in those are two of his most notable uh those are enough both great sequels oh hell yeah um 
But yes, he plays awesome as Tommy. Like, there's just a whole nice aesthetic um, to, um, you know, this remake um, when you have, like, you know, he's rocking the Pittsburgh Steelers hat. Like, they're drinking the Steel City beer. So it's all, like, you know, you're engulfed in that, like, the rural parts of the outskirts of Pittsburgh, you know, Evan City, and uh, what have you, Monroeville, whatever you want to call, wherever, you know. Um, And, of course, we can't can't go any further until we talk bill mosley having the role as johnny yes um that is such a it's such a creepy beginning to the score of this film we're going to talk about in a bit but the score is so creepy mm-hmm. when it opens and they're driving and they're fighting over their mother yeah and he plays such a it's a small role but it's such a fun memorable role and he always, he always knocks it out of the ballpark. He's like, fucking hilarious. He fucking um, really is. It Russell, doesn't matter. <laughs> Russell Striner did a great job in the original. And, oh, absolutely. You know, Johnny's also, I throw out this word a lot. Good night, Bridget. Good night. But he's an iconic <laughs> character. And the thing is, Bill Mosley's funnier, I think, and Russell Striner was like, the annoying brother yeah, yeah. trying to be funny. Right. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing because he played no, the part no. so well. I think that's how it was intended. Yeah. Bill Mosley just makes me laugh. Yeah, he really he's does. He's so, like, over the top. And yes. there's no one else I would have wanted to, like, update that role. No, no. And then we have, like, you know, uh, Katie Finnernan. I'm not really sure what she's done outside of that. It looks like she's still pretty active to this day. Does a lot of TV series and stuff. She plays uh, Tommy's gal. I didn't like her. Yeah, she was kind of a bitch. Oh, I don't know if it was the acting or the way the character Judy was this time. But Judy was not annoying to me in the original. I, yeah. I actually liked her. And another character I liked less was Helen Cooper. You liked Helen less? Yeah, I thought she just came off so much more sympathetic. Yeah, but would you quit yelling at me? I can't think straight when you're yelling at me. I mean, the acting was still there. She was still great. Their bickering was hilarious. Yeah. But I feel like maybe um, the original... He could have a hundred (laughs) guns. The original Helen had a little more to work with, I think. Yeah. just little moments, you know, where she just came off really sympathetic. She yeah. was trying to be helpful she, to Barbara and yeah. to Ben. And there's a there's a lot of fun stuff about this. And Umbrella, which is I believe an Australian company, I think released the Umbrella Corporation, not from Resident Evil, oh, okay. but they released a, a Blu-ray special edition of this film, and it has a lot of. Uh, special a lot of a lot more special features than just the dead walk feature at the came in on the dvd and stuff but um let's all right let's just kind of run through the film now and we'll just kind of so we talked about the opening scene and then uh i love and the originally it was supposed to be shot and i think we talked about this uh, on an episode, I don't know, but originally Tom Savini wanted to start it in black and white, and then slowly add color in. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he wanted to start it black and white, and then add color in as she was like, you know, like Wizard of go- the Living Dead. Yeah, like going like you know through the the backwoods and stuff. But mm-hmm. that character, um, the the cemetery zombie, you know, Greg yeah. Funk plays the Greg the cemetery zombie in this one. He was a frightening zombie. That zombie stuck with me when I was a kid. 
yeah. then you have the the uh, the autopsy zombie. Uh, you know, he's walking and it pulls his fucking because they cut the backs of it up. And I love that Savini. Out, we like yeah. saw his balls. Yeah. <laughs> Did I you see his balls? I knew you see. I'm saw pretty his butt. sure you see his balls. I just saw this dead ball sack. <laughs> Very disturbing to me. If uh, that's not real and I just imagined it, then I have an issue. I, have I don't think I've ever seen a ball sack. I saw that hairy ass, though. Um, but I love sure that ball Savini is so like particular to detail when it comes to things like that, that he knew that like, they obviously did research, that they cut the suits up the back to put them on, and things like that. And, uh, and obviously, these zombies... Uh, these zombies are a little more ferocious than any of the zombies in the original. These ones really want to bite. Um, so anyway, she you know makes it to the house and stuff. And then you have Uncle Uncle Reege, who is uh, Pat Logan is the actor's name. But apparently, and I don't know if you knew this, uh, he was a local police officer that Savini knew or whatever. And the guy had a motorcycle accident and broke some of his ribs. And had broken, was healing broken ribs during the filming of this. No, I didn't know that because see, I've I never got that Blu-ray yet with all the yeah. extra. That's features. in that that's in the Dead Walk featurette too, oh, so okay. you maybe have to rewatch that. Maybe um, my DVD doesn't have that, but maybe it does. I don't know. I don't remember. But either way, like, so he was taking the falls in the pad, I believe. I, maybe it wasn't him that was taking the falls, but when he mm. falls, when that Uncle Reach falls, yeah, which is a great scene. I'm pretty sure that is Pat Logan taking the falls onto the, like, crash pad. Either way, that's awesome. Uh, and that zombie, another one, like, he's all, like, his eyes are obviously, like, whited over. And he's fucking got blood from his mouth because he attacked Cousin Satchel. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Ate his son's fucking, like, arm. Who's up, like, that shot himself. You know what I mean? Because he couldn't bear with what's happening you know the his dead father coming back to life and started eating his arm and then uh as obviously the arm that is like crawling and then falls on uh patricia tallman from the staircase yeah that's... like a lot of cool like everything just looks so good in this film yeah definitely and uh you know and, and i really do think savini shined in so many aspects of this film it has and a great look to it. It really does. And it's shot, it's shot so well and it looks so nice. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, Ben, you get Ben, the introduction of Ben, come barreling in like fucking 5,000 pounds of shit, fucking hits the zombie, fucking. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that zombie, the zombie with the broken fucking back, you know, they dig. Uh, one of the cool things that you find out when you watch these special features after all these years, you, you know, you think about. Uh, how how they do this? How they do this? But they yeah. dug a hole and they stuck the fucking guy in it and had him sticking out and then just had the legs kind of flopped, like fake legs flopped over or whatever. Um, but I love that scene where the zombies walk in. Tony Todd shows up, fucking hits him as Ben, and then um, and then you you have our introduction to the nineteen ninety version of Ben, yes. and he uh. So, kind of going forward a little bit, I love the scene where, you know, obviously he goes in there and uh, there's the one zombie, he puts the fucking crowbar in his head, and, uh, oh yeah, something that's really funny. You get out of your phone and fucking talk with me, motherfucker. I am paying attention and I am talking. Alright, you bitch. Um, 
So when he takes when <laughs> when Ben takes the fucking frying grill griddle pan that's on the fucking stove and he shuts it off when he first comes in the house or whatever but when he's attacking that zombie he fucking just whips the pan with all the burnt shit that's in it and just smacks the fucking zombie and he goes flying across the thing <laughs> yeah, awesome. but then sticks a crowbar in his head and goes out there and fist fights the other one and then obviously goes down to the zombie that he fucked up with that uh that sick fucking 1984 Ford pickup or whatever it was and you know, God damn you, God damn all of you. Yeah. Uh, but he's so intense. He he holds this yeah. he holds his character up so well. But uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. I love one of the best scenes in the 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 best scene in the entire film is when uh, Ben's kind of talking to her about what he encountered. You know, thirty yeah. of them in the back of the paddle truck, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, when he's saying, you know, these things took, I saw these, one of these things take 30 hits and he kept on coming until he hit him in the head and then he, then he, then he went down and he's just so intense. And then when he breaks into that, I don't know what's going on and I know it ain't sure as hell ain't some chemical spill to make a dead man walk or whatever. But when he fucking, when that fucking score starts to ear in and he says, this is hell on earth, this is pure hell on earth, and he's like crying, dude. Oh yeah, I get chills. He, dude, still. I didn't even think of that scene, but when you just brought it up, I I get chills. It is fucking amazing. And I think that might have been the scene that he auditioned with. Maybe it wasn't, but I know that he didn't even read the script. Mm-hmm. Savini says this. He goes, he goes, he didn't even read the script. He walks in there. He looks at the script. He walks out for five minutes, not even five minutes. I think mm-hmm. they said it was like uh, two or three minutes. Walks back in without the script. Comes back in, is reading the lines, reciting them, reciting the scene, and like tears coming down his face. And they're like, fuck, we got Ben. Yeah. Like, how intense and how awesome of an actor can you be to just do that and nail it? And he is so, like, emotional mm-hmm. in this. And that's what really puts that Ben character up to the level that you need him to live up to a performance that Dwayne Jones had in the original. Yeah. It's just it's... fucking next level. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I think he did so much. He did, did the... The Ben character is so much justice and, and definitely uh, should be proud of how he portrayed it for sure. And then, uh, you know, moving on, obviously, then you discover that Tommy Towles is Harry Cooper and he's and him and William Butler, uh, Tommy's character, down in the basement and they come up there. And fucking Tom Towles just has amazing lines throughout the whole fucking... Like, why does he call them yo-yos? Where'd the term yo-yos come from? Is that like a Pittsburgh thing that George or, or Tom threw in there? Like... I've never heard someone refer to people as yo-yos. I don't know, but I like the mystery of it. I, it's, it's just so fucking random. <laughs> I might have heard it in something else before, but it's just... if I can't look at a yo-yo without thinking of Tom Tal. Yeah. <laughs> you bunch of yo-yos! Um, but then, you know, I love all the... All the makeup for the... Uh, for the zombies look so but that's what Savini said he did he looked at actual autopsy photos he looked at actual 
pictures of corpses, but he was also a Vietnam a photographer in Vietnam, so he took a lot of pictures of corpses over there. So he could look, he knew exactly how someone looked when they died, as morbid as that is. He knew how their jaw went slack. He knew how their eyes glazed over. You know, people don't close their eyes and die all heroically like in fucking Saving Private Ryan. They actually fucking, you know, they. he knew what the face of death looked like. Mm-hmm. So that shined in this film, obviously, because you're dealing with people who have encountered death and now they are reanimated and coming back to life. So all the zombies look really well, and there's so many fun little things about this film when it comes to the zombies, like the really skinny zombie that breaks in. Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh, you know, was a cab driver. That one especially creeps me Oh, out, yeah, obviously. it's so, like, ooh. You shouldn't be that skinny. No, but he was a cab driver that Savini took a ride in, got a ride onto the set with and he's like hey you'd be perfect for a zombie you want to be in a film and they're just like yeah but that's all they did to get all those zombies too and that is something that the original did too and that that Savini and George and everyone on the film did so well this time was make it really feel that claustrophobia when there all these zombies are closing in they're around this farmhouse and yeah, there's they re- probably hired. They probably were able to hire more, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I never really counted, but um, yeah, you know, you say, and then you have uh, what did you? What was your take on uh, the uh, the killing of? Uh, I'm trying to think where we go from here. Uh, that I thought they, for some reason, and I've talked about this endlessly. So I have to talk about it more. So me growing up in like the outskirts of Canastota, living in rural settings, these movies always ring a little more true to me because when you look on the outskirts, when you look on the outside of this farmhouse, you see a little shed in the woods. That's what was behind my house when I was a kid was a little shed in the woods. So like that really, when you, when I like watch that film, and then, like, when I was, like, six, seven, eight years old, nine, ten, and then looked out back and saw, like, a little glimmer of a light that was, you know, shining out of the house. And, like, I just see, like, nothing but trees and woods and our little shed. It made it a little more real. It made it a little more scary to watch these films, especially something like this. Yeah. And you're like, uh, this, we're fucked if the zombies show up. This, we're fucked. And it was always that scarier sense to it, you know, where you're not living in, like, suburbia or a city where you look outside and the street lights and you feel a little more safe. So those things always, I think, I think I have a different appreciation than uh, some people who grew up in, like, the city or the suburbs when it comes to films like this. Um... Now, what about you? Did you... Because you kind of grew up in, like... I guess the suburbs, kind of. But it wasn't, like, super suburbal, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um... You know, you can... To me, you can make any setting scary. Exactly, yeah. And, like, Candyman Child's Play, they make the city scary. Yeah. And... The suburbs can be scary. But uh, I think you feel the most fear naturally... When you're at a place like where you grew up, yeah, or, you exactly. know, like an old farmhouse, yeah, because there's just really nowhere to go, yeah. If a zombie apocalypse came, if fucking birds started attacking, yeah, if 
Um, if someone just like snuck up through your back door and decided to try to kill you, yeah. you're in the middle of nowhere. So those settings are always the scariest. I yeah, think. definitely. So, um, what was your? So, yeah. Well, that what like I was saying when these but zombies I think, are. I don't know if I properly answered your question because you were asking if that makes it more real for me, right? Yeah, living growing up in that area. Um, I guess I never really thought about that before. Yeah. I, I don't think I, like, thought about it outwardly. It was more of, like, a conscious thing. Like, fuck, this looks similar to, like, yeah. some of the shit in this movie. And, like, it would always just creep me out because it seemed so... And you obviously, you know, in our teen years, you know what it was like at my parents' house. Like, yeah. it, you know, you look across the street and it's nothing but the woods. Yeah, it was creepy taking yeah. a piss in your backyard. Yeah. All those nights. <laughs> um, but when I was a kid... Any setting would remind me of some movie, and it would freak me out. Yeah. Like, I'd, we'd be in the woodsy area, I think, of Night of the Living Dead. We go out to the city, I think of Candyman. <laughs> and, um, basically anywhere besides, like, my neighborhood, which is where I always felt safe. Yeah. Like, any different environment would remind me of some horror movie, and I wouldn't feel comfortable. Yeah. When I was a kid. I was a very anxious child. Yeah, seriously. Shouldn't have been watching so many horror movies, but I'm glad I did. I know. So when the zombies are breaking in, it's very it's it still gets me anxious to this day. It still gets me wound up because it is like a sense of like I mean it does with the original too. Mm-hmm. Um but this one maybe because it's more modernized and stuff, so it's a little more a little more real and you see that they look a little more frightening i think the zombies all look more frightening obviously than they would in a 1968 film that's black and white as opposed to something well, that's made in 1990 the special effects are definitely better obviously for yeah me, like the original just creeps me out more the black and white and yeah the way the zombies look like they didn't use too much makeup yeah so they just looked like what they were called ghouls so um, and either way, like, put yourself in their position. Yeah. Zombies are breaking in and you have nowhere to fucking run. Yeah. Like, that's just, just a terrifying concept. Yeah. They're so, gonna eat you. So what's They're going your t- to eat you. So what's your take? There are several, like, homages to the original, obviously. Mm-hmm. But one of them, obviously, being that uh, Sarah killing Helen Cooper. Yeah. You know... I love that they flash to the friggin' like little uh, garden tool that she was killed with in the original. They yeah. flash to it on the wall when she like bites her. Mm-hmm. You know, I love those little homage moments. They're they're so fun and right, and, and they have a camp campiness to them that's really fun. They couldn't do the garden tool thing again because in Night of the People Li- were Night of the Living it. Dead was the original was like. The only Romero zombie film where the zombies actually, like, picked up stuff and used it. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, t- and then Dawn of the Dead sort of went back on that. Yeah. And then his movies were set up, like, zombies were yeah. evolving over time. Yeah. So in Night of the Living Dead, I think he he used more of his Dawn of the Dead rules where zombies don't... They just can't do shit like that. Yeah. Unless... Did they still have the zombie pick up something to try to break through the glass? Yeah, um, okay, the, so. the cemetery zombie in this one obviously still picked up a brick and slammed the 
Yeah, that's what I thought. But I think that was probably more... That was still still probably more an homage to the original. Yeah. Um, But either way. But, yeah. So, it just made more sense this time. And the original, that's an iconic scene, and I prefer it to Helen's death scene in this one. Yeah. But... It still makes fun. more sense yeah. in the Romero the, world that had been set up at this time. Right. That she just bit her instead of yeah. stabbing her. So, um, you know, or, uh, so I'm trying to think where, where we're at in the film, kind of. I mean, we're kind of just Are roughly going, touching. I feel no, like... we're not really, but I mean... I'm trying to think what what the, what the points are that we should kind of touch on. So they're boarding up, like they're boarding up stuff. And another scene that was creepy, and it was uh, it was creepy in the original too, obviously. But yeah. when the you know Billy, uh, Bill Chili Billy Cardill is uh, is uh, you know the the TV uh, interviewer. Um. Or the, you know, the newscaster in the original, right? Yeah. Um, And he's saying, you know, the bodies of the dead are returning to life. In this one, it, you know, they make it really seem, uh, it, it was just even more creepier in a sense that, like, the guy on TV is, like, actually, like, scoffing at it. Like, he's like, you know, uh, bodies of the dead are returning to life. Reanimated, you know. And yeah. then he's just like, and he's just like possibly, uh, uh, or he's just like scientists have uh, theories of everything from alien life forms to, uh, or I can't remember what he said, voodoo mysticism and alien life forms from outer space or something like that. And yeah. then he's just like he kind of like scoffs. He's like scientists at blah 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 reject that theory. Um, so it's funny that the, he's kind of like, kind of like taking the piss out of the situation. He's just like, well, I don't know why this is happening. It obviously isn't fucking voodoo mysticism. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like scary because that's when like, if you're, you know, keep getting yourself engulfed in the film, you're like, well, fuck, it's really happening. But it's so funny. That is one of the funniest <laughs> scenes in the movie actually is when, uh, Tom Towles or Harry Cooper is bringing the TV from upstairs down downstairs mm-hmm. and he fucking he's clearly trying to sneak it into the cellar to just fucking hoard all the information yeah and then he fucking ben catches him and fucking they get struggling and then he fucking they it goes flying down the cellar stairs nice going asshole you smashed it <laughs> like and then they just fucking ben puts him in a fucking an arm bar and then they're just yelling at each other and Patty Tallman, and and you actually, it's funny to see her actually transform when she actually is like taking her pants off, ooh, um, and putting on like you know jeans that fucking Satchel had or whatever, um, and she's like getting you know prepared for fucking war, yeah, um, you slowly start seeing that transformation, and uh, when she is shooting the. You know, is he dead? Is he dead? Is he dead? Is he dead? <laughs> um, when she's freaking out, and then like when she finally shoots it in the head, when Ben's like, "You are losing it, girl. You are losing it." And then you know, whatever I lost, I lost a long time ago, and I do not plan on losing anything else. Like when she does that, you're like, "Shit, this bitch means fucking business," and yeah. you're fucked if you try to do anything silly, Cooper, with the fucking TVs. Yeah. 
And the ironic thing is, she was actually the most clear-headed person there. Oh, f- by far. She just fucking got fed up because... Who do you think's the most unclear-headed? Ben and Harry are fighting the whole time. <laughs> Judy's like, you fucking shot this dude, he's just You shot dude. Mr. Magruder! Yeah, Mr. Magruder, like, where have you been all night, Judy? Where yeah. have you been? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. obviously, yeah. <laughs> you stupid, dense-ass bitch. Like, do you not realize what the fuck's happening right now? Anyone would have flipped out the way Barbara did in that scene. Yeah. Maybe if it was me, it would have been a little more needlessly dramatic than it already was. I think Tom, Tom Tommy is pretty clear-headed, though. He's like... He's just not... I'm, she's just... The yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's... Um, um, who's the least clear-headed, you're asking? Yeah. Oh, fucking... Probably Judy Rose, right? Judy Rose, but also Ben and Harry are just... Like... Well, Ben's trying to just keep the fucking train rolling on the right path, and right. Harry's just like... Harry's definitely the the villain, kind of. Yeah, for sure. But Ben definitely, like, eventually crosses the line, I think. Instead of being the bigger man, he eventually... Yeah, but at the same time, see, I feel like I feel like Harry Cooper gets too much shade thrown his way when you think about that he has a daughter down in the cellar. Mm-hmm. All bets are off. He's the only one there that has an actual daughter that they're, like, concerned about. So all he's doing is trying to keep his daughter safe. He wants all the information. He needs to know what the information is. He needs to know if there's a source, a point for help. Um, to help his daughter. So I think that aspect's kind of lost when you think about, like, what a dickhead Harry Cooper is. And there's no denying that he is a dickhead. Um, But at the same time, he has that aspect. There's that angle where he's trying to make sure his daughter's going to be all right. Because that's that's what sends Harry over the edge when he sees that his daughter is now one of the undead. Yeah. And you know what is very... It's kind of debated. Maybe it's not debated, but um, whether Ben should have listened to Harry because if they had all went in the basement, everything would have just been fine. Yes. what people are saying. But at the same time, we don't know what would have happened. Either way, Sarah, that's the daughter, right? Yes. Would have became a zombie, would have attacked someone... They would have wanted to shoot her. Harry wouldn't have wanted her to get shot. There would have been just as much conflict in the basement, I think. And who's to say that if they weren't up there, like, keeping up with boarding everything up, the zombies wouldn't have broken through and then eventually got to the basement. Yeah. You know, so I don't think they were... I think some people misinterpret the ending to say, like, oh, they should have just listened to Harry the whole time. So... There's something I got to talk to you about, and I want to know if you've heard anything on this, and I think we may have discussed this. So in the original, I don't know if it was in the original script. I don't know if it was ever an original thing at all, but I remember reading, and I saw like a short, and it was it was on, and I can't remember where I saw the short, uh-huh. but there was like a, and it might have even just been a fan thing, where it was just giving a little more, bit more backstory to the original story, but they were saying that Harry and Helen Cooper... We're going to the funeral of, like, Harry's brother. That's why that they were dressed up in, like... Well, and even more so, you see a little bit more that they're wearing, like, more, like, proper clothes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they were going to... You know, because, obviously, uh, Helen's in a dress. Sarah's in a dress. Yeah. 
they were saying that they were going to the funeral of Harry's brother, who molested Sarah. And I don't know if... Uh, I can't remember when I heard this. I heard it years and years and years ago. That I don't know if it was like a fan's take on it or if it was ever actually included in it. That might be a question for John Russo. Um, but I remember seeing like a, a short that was like a fan film that like kind of like showed the beginning of that. Like that that like uh, did a take on that that that's why that they were dressed up. That's mm-hmm. who the cemetery zombie was was Cooper's brother, and he was actually you know like a a friggin' uh, the molester of Harry's daughter or whatever. So that is also why they say Harry kind of has, like, is kind of wild-eyed and, like, not thinking straight because he's dealing with, like, you know, you know, his brother is, like, you know, obviously, like, a heinous character or something like that. I know we're getting, like, super far out into, like, different territory than just talking about Dead 90, but... It just seems... This is for the... This is all. Does this go all the way back to the original? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um. I don't know anything about that, but I do know. Do you think do you Harry was? They... Do you think Harry was a baseball player? Because Harry had a baseball bat in this one. He was drinking a beer and he had a baseball bat for the first scene that he was introduced to in the movie. Did he get the baseball bat maybe from inside the farmhouse? Well, I figure he probably did, but I like to think that maybe he was uh, he was a baseball player. Yeah, anyway, we'll continue. go with that. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when they re-released Night of the Living Dead, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, and filmed scenes to add to it to make it longer? Yeah. Or something. Everyone said it was really Wait, bad. Wait, maybe that's what it. I'm thinking then. Yeah, because I remember hearing that there's a funeral scene with the with the cemetery zombie. Shit, dude. Yes, that's what, what? it was. Oh, okay. So... Wait, was there a short? Do you know if there was a short? Because I, I had like a two-pack Night of the Living Dead thing that had a short with it called Night of the Living Bread where they were killing bread with toasters. Yeah, I've heard it was like that. a fan. It was like a fan thing. Yeah. Now I got to look up this VHS two pack that I think my mom picked up at Phase. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that might be what you were thinking. Maybe it was, Maybe but I know I've heard version. that theories as well. Mm-hmm. That that it was just like kind of like a fan's take on what could be or whatever. Anyway, well, just the uncle molesting Sarah. It's kind of. Like, if someone came up with that, don't you think it's kind of a stretch? I, well, yeah. I, I'm yeah. not saying it's probably... It's like too much backstory. That was just some sick, old, that was just some sick deviant named Dan Clawson on IMDb. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, kind of continuing on with this Hold film. Hold on. I just want to say, Dan, stop with the perverted rape fantasies. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Anyway, so in this film, uh, something that's obviously very uh, iconic in my mind is the lost, the lost gas pump key because I feel like it's so elevated. Like, oh, I love that scene when he finds it. Oh my god! And he starts laughing, starts laughing like because he's lost it at this point. He's just fucking done. Oh yeah, he's fried. <laughs> yeah, but um. When, um, I'm trying to think, uh, that's what was so, uh, another scene that I love is when they, they, 
they're getting fucking amped up, and Ben's making the friggin' the makeshift uh, tiki torch yeah. to go out there. And then they're breaking in, and then they're fucking going, let's go, let's go! And they're fucking, mm-hmm. uh, Judy Rose, she's been driving since she was eight. Okay, how is that relevant here? Anybody <laughs> can fucking drive. Like, she's not, like, she's not, you know... She, she had to be there because she's been driving since she's, she was eight. Yeah, so. she's not Ryan Blaney. Like, she's not, like, a NASCAR driver. Um, But it's just so, like, funny. Like, she's been driving trucks since she's been driving since she was eight. Okay, how is that relevant? Everybody can drive. Who cares? So they give her the, you know, you can drive, Judy Rose. So <laughs> they drive down there. She's driving all over the place. Ben's fucking doing goddamn corkscrew fucking 450 splashes like he's fucking Juventud Guerrera and trying to keep up with them. He's running. He's he's getting on there. He's fist fighting zombies now. He's literally yeah. grabbing zombies by the tie and just punching them in the fucking <laughs> mouth. <laughs> like, how badass can you get? And then obviously. He's in the like more animated than the original mm-hmm. um and decides to shoot the gas pump and blow himself and the nascar driver judy rose the fuck up but yeah. that scene was um just as it was it was fun to see that recreated too like them like ripping fucking which was actually cool that you saw judy rose like with her hands still in the steering wheel position yeah. too when they're dragging her out to eat her and boy was i glad to see her go yeah <laughs> But, um, but yeah, and then you see, you know, obviously, uh, Tony Todd make his way back in, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, the shit starts to go down between him and Cooper and fucking, they see Sarah's a zombie now, and then, uh, Ben and Cooper's shooting each other the fuck up, Patty Tallman's freaking the fuck, um, and then, uh, I'm trying to think... At this point, yeah. So, you know, Ben's obviously fucked up. Cooper's going up into the attic and fucking zipping the goddamn... The 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 pull-down fucking tab. Yep. Up. This is where the ending differs, like, greatly from yes. the original. So, uh, at this point, old, uh... You know, Ben finds the gas pump key that they've been searching for this entire time at the basement. Yeah, and was the gas pump key a thing in the original? I don't even remember that. Um... Well, I don't think that, that I don't think it's as 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 pronounced. I think it okay. is because he does, or they do. Uh, you know, a whole aspect of it I forget is fucking Ben's tiki torch is fucking was in the back of the fucking thing, and that's what that's what blew it up. Is Ben to blame? No, no. Fucking... <laughs> it's obviously Tommy because he shot the fucking gas you don't pump. Shoot a gas pump, Tommy. <laughs> but anywho, um, and I love that, and that's just such a, and I love, and it would have been so. You know, what would have been interesting. You just did like five different sentences. At I once. know. I don't give Pick a fuck. One of them. You, you know, what would have been interesting is because they fade to black when when he finds he's listening to the. Uh, it almost sounds like a preacher on the radio that he's listening to. Yeah, I don't know why, but that's always creepy. Isn't that out. super fucking creepy? Yeah. And uh, he's listening to that, and the guy's like, the So he's listening to that, and then he finds the gas pump, and he's saying, uh, you know, they got that right, too. And he finds the gas pump key. He starts fucking laughing, and, like, he spits the cigarette out because he's laughing so hard. Uh-huh. 
and then it just fades to black. Such that would have nice been such touch. Yeah, spinning the cigarette out. That would have been so interesting to end the movie like that. How would you have felt if the movie ended like that? Um, do we know what's going on with Barbara when that happens? Because she I'm had escaped. To... She had, you know, he's yeah. Ben's telling her go, go, but she hasn't um, hooked up with the other guys yet, right? At this point. Maybe. Either way. Either no, way. no, because I think when that... Go- Wait. No, she has. Because okay. that was what the last scene before they broke to the morning. Well, I wouldn't have been mad if they ended Do you think those guys would have tried to... I love the way it actually ends, though. Those guys... Okay. Do you think so- those guys would have tried to rape her? Is that what you going to ask me? <laughs> no. Get your the- mind out of the gutter. What were you going to ask me, though? I was going to ask you if they were going to gang rape her. <laughs> Oh, so not just rape, but like well, not just not one at a time rape altogether. Well, well, let's be let's be real here though. Those guys literally rolled up on her, and the one guy wrapped his arm around her, mm-hmm. and they're all friggin' like obviously like I think hicks, was, and they're all friggin' yeah. super creepy. And obviously, that's not a far stretch during a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I think if they were going to rape her, they would have tried like, <laughs> well, <laughs> before the next morning when we see them again. Well, to be fair, I think Patricia Tallman would have beat the shit out of all of them. Yeah, I think what the the impression that I got was that they were a little intimidated by her, like put off by her because she was so like. What? I don't know. I thought you'd just play off of what I'm saying and finish my. You trying to feed me. me fucking lines? Yeah. No. So, what? Because so, she has short hair. I think no, the short hair look is very short hair. I think the short hair looks because good on her. Because she's so tough and she's good with a gun, and they knew that if they tried anything, <laughs> she would have killed them all. Do you think she would have put that on her zombie hunting that. resume? They still sort of laughed her off in the in the final. Moment yeah, yeah, they did kind of because she's a woman. And sexism is a real thing. and More so in 1990. But I think they knew not to try anything. Do I think if she was like Barbara in the original, would they have raped her? Yes. <laughs> because that's what rednecks do. They rape women. <laughs> Alright, that was too funny. Anyway... Um, you know what's actually funny is when uh, she's she wakes up, she's obviously someone hooked her up with this fucking acid wash Levi jacket that she's mm-hmm. stoked on. Um, and uh, oh yeah, something else we should probably touch on is actually the woman who, when they're banging up the house and stuff, and the what it pans to the one librarian, like the shitty librarian, older shitty yeah. librarian, looking zombie, and she hears the banging on the house, and then she turns with her mouth open. That's the owner of the house. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? No. Well, anyway, say it again. So the, there's a woman, like when they're boarding up the house. Uh, yes. Like there's a there's a uh, lone older woman looking zombie and they kind of pan to her like from a lower angle and they show her and she kind of turns her turns her body when she hears the banging in the house okay do they explain that in those special features yes okay she's actually the owner of the house okay yeah i wouldn't have guessed yeah obviously (laughs) um and then i've um you have 
you have uh oh yeah go that was kind of backtracking but now something that's funny when she wakes up and she's in the car and she's seeing all the crazy wreckage and stuff and all the zombie the zombie barbecues and all the zombie like crazy like zombie games that they're having or hang zombies and fighting mm-hmm. zombies in a pit and and all that shit uh she just looks over to the two guys that like she saw last night that look like fucking Bob Cumber and fucking someone else his son um <laughs> Bob Cumber listens to this. Does he? No. Bob Cumber's the shit. Uh, Anyway, he uh, when she looks over to him and she goes, "Having fun," and they go, "Give me a break." (laughs) Like I don't know why I find that like fucking hilarious. It's funny and I don't fully get it, but but that's uh, that's a a funny little uh, not funny, I guess, but. That that's it's so it was great imagery to see, you know, the zombie burn pile, like the little makeshift wrestling ring where they're fucking like wrestling with zombies and shit. Yeah. And then obviously Which is that was also sort of going on in Dawn of the Dead, right? The original Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. But something that's so like more so and I think like it rings more tr- more iconic in this film than the original, just because all the time had went by. Um, in the 60s, we were out of the 60s at this point. And obviously, the 60s was the mecca for fucking racism and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, racism's alive and well these days, too. But obviously, in the 60s, it was very, like, it was scary times to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, black in the 60s. Because it was just, it was acceptable to be fucking racist then. I know. And it was just, like, fucking crazy times. But humans not, are just fucked up, and that's it's a major theme in most it, of Romero's movies. It's in our blood to be fucked up. But that's uh, what's funny is uh, when she says, "You know, they're us. We're them, and they're us." Yep. And she's, and I think she, it clicks in her mind that she's seeing humans like strung up and shot, even though they're dead. They're the undead. Yeah, and they're eating other people and things like that. Obviously, that's fucked up. But now, like. We've reduced ourselves because of that. We're, we've reduced ourselves to like st- strapping these zombies up to a tree and just shooting them and wrestling yeah, with them like, in a pit for fun. Like, yeah, we they were human beings. Like, obviously, something has reanimated them. Mm-hmm. But that's you know, it's so I feel. But that's, I mean, we don't know. It's so true to what I feel like would happen. Yeah, like it really is. But it's I'd so. Tell it's, you what, it'd be all the Trump supporters. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, here we go. Um so it would uh it would be fun to see what would actually happen. But humans obviously aren't thinking straight when re- pe- the dead are being reanimated and eating other people and turning other people into zombies. So you're not thinking straight. But not, what's but... but it's so interesting to see you know her realize Barbara Patricia Tallman is Barbara realize mm-hmm. you know she she un- understands it she she was you know we're uh, they're them we're them and they're us yeah and she's like and this is I guess this is what the world is but you know when she goes into the house and uh, she uh, finds Ben you know they cut the door they saw the door open and Ben comes up as a zombie mm-hmm. And then he gets shot in the head that way. Yeah. 
that was obviously uh, different from the original, which is you know obviously vastly different from what the original ending was. Right. Um. So that was a really. I mean, that's where she thought. I think that's what where you see like how like okay, this was the one like obviously she just met Ben a day ago, but it was yeah. the first close relationship i mean because in times like that you obviously gain you become very close to someone very quick especially in those trying like crazy dramatic over the top fucking zombie apocalyptic times yeah so but the one guy who she kind of who helped shoulder all the weight of this fucking apocalyptic world was ben and now ben's dead mm-hmm and, you know, she kind of turns the corner and starts, you know, kind of absorbing it. She's like, Jesus Christ, like, n- now I ha- I know no one. Like, you know, obviously they had a connection to being, you know, in the house and that all that starting, you know, through this night of hell. Yeah. The new era of the world or whatever. And then old Tommy Towles, Harry Cooper rolls around the corner. He came back. He came back. And she just fucking point blank range fucking blows him away. Which is awesome. And, yeah. You know, I saw I've seen some controversy about that scene because really? people um What's the controversy with it? People sometimes take things like that too seriously and they're like, This movie condones murder, like he's Oh it's yeah. fucking zombie apocalypse. Of course everyone condones murder. That and you know at this point. Does Harry deserve to live? Because at this point, he had shot at Ben, and actually shot Ben, and he shot... Essentially killed Ben. He shot at Barbara, and, you know, she just lost Ben. Yeah. She's pissed off. You see Harry, you shoot him in the head. All of his reaction, all of his actions led to everyone dying, more or Mm -hmm. less. You know what I mean? Them, him not letting them into the cellar... They didn't find the gas pump. Tommy's goofy ass fucking had too many Steel City beers. He wasn't shooting fucking right anyway. And he fucking blows the goddamn gas pump out of Ben's tiki torch and blows the fucking thing up and provides a barbecue for the fucking zombies by him and Judy Rose. Fuck. God, you talk fast sometimes. I'm trying to, brother. Uh, But yeah, it's... uh, you know, it, it, you know it's a, it's a shame that the movie didn't make money because it kind of fucking floundered, unfortunately, for yeah. a budget with four million, four point two million, and uh, opening weekend it did two point eight, a little more than two point eight, and it only grossed about five point eight. So it didn't really do too well, unfortunately. Right. But and, which is unfortunate because that the whole their whole thing was to make money on this so they could kind of give the guys who really busted their ass in 68 to do this a little bit of money. But this Mm -hmm. was Savini's directorial debut. I think it's great. I really think Savini did a great job. I agree with you. It's one of the best horror remakes of all time. Uh, I'm going and I'm saying, I mean, right off the top of my head, I can't think of anything I love better, but... Uh, it's got to be my favorite horror reimagining remake, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, because it keeps everything that's great about the original and just adds where it's necessary. Yeah, I think for the time. Yeah, definitely. And 
not everyone loves it as much as we do, but I don't understand why. Yeah. If you're a fan of the original, I don't see why you wouldn't be a fan of this one as well. Yeah. Unless you're like, there's so many people that are diehard, like, closed-minded, like, oh, I don't watch any remakes. So, I guess, touching on, so, uh, yeah, the score in this film is fucking so eerie and so creepy, and I've, I've always loved it. I've always mm-hmm. kind of, uh, the, the beginning, the opening uh, credits score is creepy, and then the closing is just, like, epic. Yeah, it starts off creepy, like, the music in the in the rest of the film, and then yeah. it just kind of goes into, like, a... I don't know how to describe it. Like, the just eerie tones, and... Yeah, oh, the... The, the guitar for, is, Yeah, the guitar yeah, solo, and... I love that. Yeah, it's so rad. It, it really is mad rad. But, um, I'm trying to think of anything else we can touch on with this. It's such a, it's such a great film. It really is. I think it holds up and it's a shame that it's, it's, it's shame that I think sometimes people will talk about the dislike for it because they try to think that, you know, well, the re- the original's better. Well, the, the original's a landmark film. It's a fucking like masterpiece. It's, it's, yeah. it, it created an entire genre this is just, you know, kind of an appre- showing an appreciation for that. Yeah. And I think more yeah. or less just, you know, everyone being able to have fun, at least from what I can tell. I just feel like it was everyone just trying to have fun with the Night of the Living Dead name. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it, like I said, it keeps everything about the original that I love. And then... Gives us, like, a more updated, like, badass Barbara to fit with the times. And the other actors, they just put a slightly different spin on the characters that, you know, no one's just repeating what the original actor did. Exactly. It's a great reimagining. But something that was, uh, I talked about the zombies being strapped up to the trees and then shot at. That was written in the original script. But they didn't want to put it in the 1968 version of the film because of all the lynchings and and racial tensions of the time. And uh, something... And and I feel like that was George's way to kind of get that back in because it wasn't in the original to get it in this time. Yeah. You know, to have a point... Have that be poignant now even though it was so many years later. And, uh, I mean, obviously it's a... It well. This is we'll end with this because this is a great story. So, Saturday Nightmares, years ago, you, myself, your brother went to Saturday Nightmares in Jersey City, New Jersey. They had George Romero there. They had Ken Foray there. They had uh, Joe Pilato there. They had several people from George's or from George's Dead films. But they also had one John Russo. You're telling this story. What's that? This is the story you're telling. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a it's a great story and it ties in with both films. Well, you started off and I'll finish it from the point where from you, where you, where you, where you I were left there, off. so they understand my point of view. Okay, so uh, so we're walking around the convent this convention Saturday Nightmares, which is a great convention and it only lasted two or three years. Uh, unfortunate. Anyway. 
So it was the first time you, myself, Eric, had met George Romero, too. It was such a fun weekend. We had met him. We had met you. had met Adrian Barbeau. We had met Ken Foray. It was a great time. We're walking around, and it's kind of we're kind of nearing the end of uh, our our day. We're all just kind of I'm off doing my own thing because I always stray away from you guys. So we're hitting. Uh, I'm hitting some vendor tables, and I see John Russo's got his little table there. So he has a bunch of his scripts out. He has posters. He has this, that, the others. So I check it out, and I'm going through his shit. And kind of like not even like out in plain view. It's kind of like under some shit and off to the side. And I'm looking at shit and I find a Night of the Living Dead 1990 shirt. And I go, oh, shit. I was like, oh, this is rad. You know, thinking to myself. And he's just like, yeah. He's like, I got that like when the mo- that movie was coming out. I think the night they screened it and... And uh, I was low on cash because I had blown my friggin' load on everyone that I'd met already. So he said something, and I can't remember what he said. I think it was like 25 or 30 or 40 bucks, whatever it was. I can't remember what he wanted for it. And it had like a weird like screen-printed smell. It literally was in storage from 1990 to 2010. So you're talking 20 years. It was in storage. So I kind of walk away and I was like, fuck, I wish I had a little bit more money. I'd grab that. So I come over and I was telling you and Eric about it. And then you disappear. And now you take the story. When I used to go to conventions when we were much younger, I would bring like $500 cash that I wish I had right now. And when I saw the t-shirt, saw how much Jesse wanted it, but he couldn't afford it. I thought I'd do something nice and buy it for him because I, I had the extra cash. What a guy. And Jesse loves that movie. It was the only t-shirt, right? Yeah. And that was, like, your only opportunity. So I'm like, I have to buy him the shirt. I'll do it as a surprise. So I, like, I went, I think it was upstairs, and I went to this table. But the twist is, guys, that I didn't know it was John Russo's table. I don't know... If he didn't have a banner up, or if he had a banner up, and I... It was almost like he had a vendor table, but he wasn't signing, but he was signing type thing. Yeah, and I know, obviously I know who John Russo is, but yeah. I didn't know what he looked like. So, there was no... There was nothing at that table popping out to me like, oh, I'm fucking John... I'm John Russo. <laughs> so, I thought I was talking... I thought I was talking to a vendor, but I was talking to the writer of Night of the Living Dead. And I'm like, I want this t-shirt please and he was like okay you want me to sign it and i just like was so confused i'm like who is this so but that's not what i said out loud i was i it just kind of came out like um and then he looked like uh this guy doesn't give a shit who i am so he's like oh don't worry about it i i don't have i don't have to sign it it was super awkward (laughs) And I'm like, no, sign it. Come on. Did you actually say that? I don't remember. This was 2010. (laughs) So, yeah, he signed it. I walked away. And then Jesse was, like, right there. So then I got, I'm like, Jesse, I wasn't buying this for myself. It's for you. Like, for some reason, I got nervous that you thought. I thought you were going to fucking do a Sean. Pull pull a Sean on you. (laughs) Buy something that we wanted. Yeah, so it was probably the most awkward five minutes of my life. Well, 
I actually every other time I've ever met someone at a convention was equally as awkward. Well, I'll say this. One, I love it. I'm glad you picked it up for me. You're a hell of a guy, you're a hell of a friend, and it was a great gesture by you. And if I wouldn't if I didn't get that, I'd probably be pretty bummed. I still have it, obviously. Uh it's signed by John Russo and it uh I need to get it framed. It I just kind of sits put away in a bin right now because I don't want anything mm-hmm. to happen to it. But like I said, it's and it has like some cracks in it, but it looks immaculate because other than the the cracks because it was never been worn. It was a screen printed shirt that was made for the 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 premiere of the film that they gave out to everyone, and they also gave out. I found this out. And I'm not sure if they gave out hats or anything, but I know that they gave out that and they gave out like a little pin. And the pin's on eBay, but I've never seen the shirt. Um, so that's uh, that's awesome to have. Yeah. Thanks to you. You're pretty lucky. I am a lucky guy to have you. So final thoughts on uh, Night of the Living Dead 1990, Tom Savini's directorial debut. It is very, very fine. <laughs> it is very fine. So uh, Paul... McCullough did the uh, music for this and it's such a fun it's such a fun little score that he did Um, I just wanted to end with that but yeah uh, you can find Brian on Instagram at Brian the Reckless you can find Heart Guide Media on Instagram and Twitter at Heart Guide Media Um, you can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud Um, if you have soundcloud follow our account if you have apple devices you can listen to it on listen to this podcast on uh itunes you can subscribe rate and review please um again on uh social networking uh at heart media on instagram and twitter and uh yeah thanks for listening to this one uh spread the spread the word uh because we'll have plenty more for this uh month of october it's been a lot of fun uh it's been a lot of fun catching up with brian and uh discussing uh the kevin s tenney the kevin s tenney um we discussed uh his films that we've seen and that we love um, so that episode's up. You can check that one out. You can check out all of our past episodes. We have one on Toby Hooper. We have one on George Romero. We have several, several, several different episodes. Uh, music ones. Um, you know, we have one on Arnold Schwarzenegger. We have a Friday the 13th marathon one where we discuss every film with myself and BT and Eric Tyler and John Engel and Sean Henderson, uh, all my uh, closest friends discussing that in a three-hour long form. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, they're all up. And I'm just kind of dragging this out because I don't want to let anyone go. But, Brian, thanks for discussing this one. This one's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're welcome on this astute, esteemed podcast anytime. But I'll be back. Hell yeah. But I'm Jesse HS. This is the Hard Guy Media Podcast. Thanks for stopping by.